Well, if you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to the Old Testament book of Judges chapter 13. I want to begin with a word of prayer this morning. Many of us last week uh, in our worship service took our Bibles and we wrote on the inside flap of our Bible the name of one or two or three names, maybe more, of people that you felt like God was putting on your heart that you would take 2019, you would pray for them, you would seek to have a spiritual impact in their life, maybe someone who does not know Christ, someone who is, is not involved in church, and you would seek to see how God might use you in this year to have an impact in their lives. I have written two names, told you that I was praying for a third name and I haven't written that down yet. Uh, I'm still praying for a third name. Uh, but my hope, my prayer is that this year God will use me to impact these men, two or three certainly soon, three men, that God will use me to impact them for Christ. And I hope you've done the same. If you haven't done that, I invite you to do that. Today, you can do it right now. Uh, and, but do it this week. Write down some names and commit to praying for them that God might use you in their lives this, uh, uh, this year. So let me just start with a word of prayer. Father, all across this room, there, there are people who have written names down. And Father, not just here, but people watching online and people watching on television have written names down. Hundreds and hundreds of names have been written down. And I believe these names have come straight from the heart of God. And I believe that you want to use us to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to these people. I pray that you will burden our hearts with these names. I pray that every day I will think of these two, three, four names that you've put on my heart, that I will constantly go to you in prayer and ask that you work in their hearts, that I'll look for more and more opportunities to connect with them so that, Father, this year, you might somehow use me to make a spiritual impact in their lives. Father, I am excited about what's going to happen just across our community and in our families because of the commitment that so many have made and will make to do this uh, in, in this calendar year. And so we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we talked last week about we love our community. And we talked a little bit about what that means, and we're going to talk about it nearly every week of uh, 2019, uh, but I just want to highlight a few things right now. Not only are we going to seek to reach more people through our Sunday school, not only are we going to seek to reach more people by sharing the gospel and through prayer, but we partner with some very important ministries here in Nacogdoches that help us to make an impact in our community and in the lives of people who are going through difficult times in our community. And I just want to highlight two of those this morning. One is called Love in the Name of Christ. We usually call it around here Love, Inc. And this is an organization that ministers to people who are in difficult circumstances, have benevolence needs as well as spiritual needs. Our church is one of the partners, one of the financial partners for this ministry. It's Ministries led by a member of our church, and we send many volunteers uh, to work uh, for the Lord through this ministry. And I would encourage you, if you have a benevolence need or if you know somebody who does, uh, we, we point people toward this ministry. They just do a fantastic job. And if you would like to volunteer, I uh, reached out to them this week and asked what their top three volunteer needs were. And they said, number one, they have a need for people to make visits in homes. They train people to go into homes and see what the needs are and to encourage people and to pray with people and to check on information. 
And so perhaps you could volunteer with them to do that. They need men to work in their warehouse ministry to help organize, to pick up items that have been donated, to deliver items to clients. And they need people to work in their kingdom gifts store where they take items that have been donated, they repurpose those and sell those in order to uh, raise support for their ministry. I would encourage you, find a way, we love our community, find a way to volunteer with love in the name of Christ. Another partner ministry we have is Godtail. And this is a ministry that serves primarily the homeless community in Nacogdoches. And I had an opportunity this last week to go out and spend some time touring the facilities and meeting some of the leaders. We support them financially. We have a number of people in our church who volunteer out there every week. It is an impressive ministry. The work that they are doing uh, for people, for the gospel is amazing. And so uh, I would encourage you, you have an interest, uh, they have needs from, uh, from building to mechanical to preaching, teaching, accountability, food prep, cleaning, all kinds of needs. If you would like to serve in that capacity, reach out to Godtell, that would be a great place to serve and to help us love our community in 2019. Now, with that being said, today we've, we're focusing on the story of Samson. And this comes from our, our reading this last week. If you're doing the 100 days through the Bible, on Thursday you read the story of Samson. Samson was the last judge of Israel. This is during the period before Israel had a king. And so God would appoint a judge that would guide them, that would rule them in some sense. And the very last judge was somebody by the name of Samson. Now, Samson was a strong man. That's what everybody knows about him. Uh, but this picture you have in your mind of what Samson probably looked like is likely not true. Uh, Samson was not a strong man because he looked like a bodybuilder. He was not a strong man because he was muscle bound. He was a strong man because God had gifted him this strength. The strength came 100% from the Lord. And so Samson, we don't know exactly what he looked like, uh, but perhaps he just looked like the rest of us, but God had given him this almost supernatural strength. Well, really, it was a supernatural strength. That's the man of Samson. Now, when you study Samson, generally, uh, you just move right on to the end of the story, Judges chapter 16. Uh, and we're going to do that uh, this morning. But I want us to go back and look at the beginning of the story before we get there. Because I think the most significant verse about Samson is not found in the exciting climax of Judges 16, but it's found in the introduction of Judges 13. So it's verse 5, but I want to get a running start. Look with me in Judges chapter 13, verse 1. It says, The Israelites again did what was evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Philistines for 40 years. Now, that's interesting. The Israelites did not honor the Lord, but they rebelled and they sinned, and God turned the entire nation over for judgment for 40 years. I'll tell you, I thought about this verse three weeks ago when the state of New York passed the late-term abortion law that is just unconscionable. And the things that have been said and the things that are allowed, it, it's, just, it's just hard to imagine. And then two weeks ago when the governor of Virginia endorsed infanticide on the radio publicly, uh, it, is, uh, it, it, is, it is an amazing thing that we have come to that place. And you wonder, will God not judge America? 
for 40 years like, like he chose to judge Israel uh, because of their rebellion. It goes on in verse 3, the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman uh, who had become Samson's mother uh, and said to her, it is true that you are unable to conceive and have children, uh, but you will conceive and give birth to a son. And so Samson's birth was supernatural. Uh, now, can you think of another supernatural birth in the Bible that comes to mind? Of course you can, the birth of Jesus. Now, Samson's birth and the birth of Jesus were not the same. Uh, Jesus was born of a virgin. Uh, he had no earthly father, and that's not true of Samson, but, but there is this connection. Both of these births are supernatural births in one sense or another. Uh, verse 4 says, now, please be careful not to drink wine or beer or eat anything unclean, for indeed, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You must never cut his hair because the boy will be a Nazarite to God from birth. Now, let's pause there. Uh, God says that this son of yours, Samson, will be set aside, especially set aside for my purposes. I'm going to do something through this son of yours, Samson, and he is to be set aside. The Nazarite vow meant a, a number of things. He, he would not drink alcoholic beverages. He would not cut his hair, some other things. And, and these were symbols of the fact that he had been set aside for this special purpose. But then notice the end of verse 5. And he will begin to save Israel from the power of the Philistines. Now, we know that his purpose is to come and as a judge to represent Israel, but notice how God says this, that he will begin to save Israel from the Philistines. Now, the Philistines were real people. Uh, they were a perennial enemy of the Israelites, but more than that, they really represented sin and rebellion. Every time you see the Philistines in the Old Testament, they represent sin and rebellion. And so it says here that Samson has, has come to begin to deliver the Israelites from sin and rebellion. Why does it say that Samson would begin this? Well, because Samson didn't finish it. Who is the one who comes also through a supernatural birth to finish delivering God's people from the influence of sin? That is Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to see before we get into Judges chapter 16, is that every one of these Old Testament stories that we're reading, every one of these historical events recorded in the Old Testament, somehow points to Jesus. And when we read these, we ought to look for that. And sometimes you have to dig a little, a little deeply in order to get there, but every one of these points to Jesus. The whole purpose of the Old Testament is to point to Jesus. And Jesus himself said as much when he was walking with a couple of his followers uh, after his resurrection. They didn't know about the resurrection. These two followers, they were very upset about his crucifixion. They were on the road to Emmaus and Jesus joins them, but they don't recognize him. But in this, in this conversation they have on this journey to Emmaus, the Bible says in Luke 24, 27, Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, speaking of Jesus, interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And so on this long journey, Jesus takes one story after the other in the Old Testament and shows these followers how that story points to Jesus who has come to set us free from the Philistines, who has come to set us free from sin. 
And I just want to encourage you with that here in the story of Samson. What is it primarily about? Well, God sent Samson to begin the process of freeing God's people, but he failed. But another one is coming and now has come Jesus who sets us free. And that's the good news. Now, with that in mind, let's turn to Judges chapter 16. In Judges chapter 16, we find Samson in all of his strength. He has been terrorizing the Philistines and he has also been living a very ungodly lifestyle. And with that in mind, we just pick up in verse one. We're going to read more verses than we ordinarily do today, but it's just important to, to understand the flow of the story. So verse one says, Samson went to Gaza. In fact, let's just start in verse two. It says, in fact, let's start in verse four. <laughs> I'll get there in a moment. I'm trying to keep from reading the entire chapter. Verse four, sometime later, he fell in love with a woman named Delilah who lived in the Sorek Valley. The Philistine leaders went to her and said, persuade him to tell you where his great strength comes from so we can overpower him, tie him up and make him helpless. Each of us will then give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So he's in love with this woman, or he thinks he is, and they come to the woman and say, we'll give you all this money if you will just find out the secret to his strength so that we can subdue him so that we can, so that we can come and take him. Verse six, so Delilah said to Samson, please tell me, where does your great strength come from? How could someone tie you up and make you helpless? Now you'd think that Samson would understand what was going on here, but apparently his strength was greater than his intellect, and so he did not. Verse seven, Samson told her, if they tie me up with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I will become weak and be like any other man. And so the Philistine leaders brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dyed, and she tied them up. And while the men uh, in ambush were waiting in a room, she called out to him, Samson, the Philistines are here. But he snapped the bowstrings as a strand of yarn snaps when it touches the fire. The secret of his strength remained unknown. So then Delilah said to Samson, verse 10, you have mocked me and told me lies. Won't you please tell me how I can, how you can be tied up? And so she said, you have lied to me. Uh, it didn't occur to her that she had lied to him, right? Because this was a trap. Uh, he, because he was not very smart, st was still there. Verse 11, he told her, if they tie me up with new ropes that have never been used, I will become weak and be like any other man. And so Delilah took new ropes, tied him up, and shouted, Samson, the Philistines are here. But while the men in, were in ambush waiting in the room, he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, you have mocked me all along and told me lies. Tell me how you can be tied up. And he told her, if you weave the seven braids on my head into the fabric on a loom uh, and so forth. So she fastened the braids with a pen and called to him, Samson, the Philistines are here. And he woke from his sleep and pulled out the pen. Uh, with the loom and the, and the web. How can you say, I love you, she told him, when your heart is not with me? This is the third time you have mocked me and not told me what makes your strength so great. So that's, that's the relationship between Samson and Delilah. It is a dysfunctional relationship if there, if there ever was one. Uh, so what's going to happen next? What is, what is Samson going to do? You can almost predict the end of the story if you didn't know it, right? 
Uh, so in verse 16, it says, because she nagged him day after day and pleaded with him until she wore him out, he told her the whole truth and said to her, my hair has never been cut because I am a Nazarite to God from birth. And if I am shaved, my strength will leave me and I will become weak and be like any other man. So when Delilah realized that he had told her the whole truth, she sent this message to the Philistine leaders, come one more time, for he has told me the whole truth. And the Philistine leaders came and, and they brought the silver with them. And then she let him fall asleep on her lap and she called a man to shave off the seven braids of his head. And in this way, she made him helpless and his strength left him. And then she said, Samson, the Philistines are here. And when he awoke from his sleep, he said, I will escape as I did before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Samson lost the presence, the power of the Lord in his life. Uh, he didn't know it. He didn't know it until the crisis came. But he had lost the presence and the power of the Lord. This is important for us because for us, we too can lose the presence and the power of the Lord. Now, we're not going to lose our salvation. Once God adopts you into his family, you are always in his family and you will persevere to the end in your faith, but you can lose the presence of the Lord. You can lose the power of God in your life. You can lose the joy. You can lose the peace. We all know people who were walking closely with the Lord, who knew the joy of the Lord, but today the Lord is so distant from them. Maybe you're here this morning and you fear you have lost the presence of God in your life. You've lost the hand of God and you don't you won't know for sure until a crisis comes, until somebody says, hey, the Philistines are here, but you suspect perhaps you have lost the presence of God. How do we keep from losing God's presence in our lives? How do we keep from being put on the shelf? I, I read a story a long time ago, and I'm going to read some of it to you at the end, uh, of, of, a, of a carpenter in, in his shop. And, and maybe he was a cabinet maker and he had all of these tools that he had used through the years. And some of the tools were right on uh, the table. They were, they were right on the workbench and he used them often and they were well-worn and well-used and valuable to him. But there were other tools that were in the corner or on a high shelf and they were just collecting dust and they hadn't been used in years and, and their value was, was almost nothing. They had just been cast to the side. And you know, some of us are tools in God's hand and God is using us and God, we are valuable to the kingdom of God because of what God is doing through us. And some of us, we have just been cast into the corner. We're just collecting dust on the top shelf because we have lost the presence of God. Like Samson, we have lost our strength and the strength that comes from the Lord. So how did Samson do this and how, how can we avoid this? Well, I think there were three ways that Samson lost the presence of God. Number one, he was not thankful for the gift that God had given him. He was not thankful for the gift. Now God had given Samson an incredible gift. He was a real life comic book superhero. There was nothing he couldn't do. He had strength that was amazing. But he didn't seem to be thankful for this extraordinary gift. Now, there are two things about the gift that we should know. First of all, the gift came 100% from the Lord. Samson was not strong because he did CrossFit 
or P90X or Zumba or burpees or any of those other torture things. He was strong because God made him strong. God had just bestowed upon him this great gift. That's the first thing you need to know. It was 100% from the Lord. Now, the second thing you need to know is that it was a gift. It was a strength. It was a power that could not be overcome. It had no limits. It was it, it, it was so, so strong. It was so, what's the word? It was so mighty that it couldn't be limited. In fact, if you've not read Judges 14 and 15, I'll just give you some highlights. Judges 14, 5 and 6 says, suddenly a young lion came roaring at Samson and the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him and he tore the lion apart with his bare hands. Now that's something most of you have never done, Right? Uh, chapter 14, verse 19 says, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on Samson and he went down to Ashkelon and he killed 30 men just with his hands. In chapter 15, verses four and five, it says, so he went out and he caught 300 foxes. So not only was he strong, he was fast. Says he took torches, turned the foxes tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of of tails, and then he ignited the torches and released the foxes into the standing grain of the Philistines, and, and you can figure out what happened from there. In verses 14 and 15 of chapter 15, it says, when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came to meet him shouting, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him, and the ropes that were on his arms and wrists became like burnt flax and fell off, and he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and he reached out his hand and took it, and he killed a thousand men uh, in battle. So this was, this was a gift that not only came from the Lord, but it was a gift that had no limits. It was the perfect, powerful gift. But he didn't seem to be very thankful for it. Uh, he seemed to have very little appreciation for its, for its value. Now, how, how do you think the story would have been different in chapter 16 if Samson would have been just overwhelmed with thankfulness for this gift. Well, every morning he would, have, he would have awakened and he would have started by saying, oh, Lord in heaven, thank you that you've given me this gift that I did not deserve. It is 100% from you and you've bestowed this upon me for a purpose. Thank you. And that would have been his opening prayer. Had he been overwhelmed with thanksgiving, he would have woke up in the morning and that would have been the first thought he had is, God, you have been so good to me to give me this gift. Now, from there, how do you think his day would have been different? If it would have started off by his declaration of thanksgiving for this incredible gift, the whole rest of his day would have been different, right? But that's not how he lived. He acted like, here, especially with Delilah, he acted like he was not thankful for the gift at all. Now, let's talk about the gift that we have been given. We have been given the gift of salvation. If you know the Lord, your sins have been forgiven. Isn't that amazing? Our sins have been forgiven. We have a place in heaven. Our, our home is secure. Our future is secure. We have access to the Father in heaven. We have been given an incredible gift. And what was true of Samson's gift is also true of our gift. Number one, it comes from the Lord. It's 100% from the Lord. I'm not saved because I'm a better person than someone who's not saved. I'm saved because of the goodness of the Lord, the kindness of the Lord expressed in my life. And, and the gift cannot be overpowered. What was true of Samson's gift is true of our gift. Romans 8.1 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. 
No sin can overpower my gift. Uh, The Bible says a little later in Romans chapter 8, no, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate me from the love of God. We have an unlimited gift. The presence of God is so valuable to us. Yet many of us live as if we do not have any appreciation for what God has done. How would we live differently if we were just overwhelmed with the fact that God had given us this gift? Well, I think we'd wake up in the morning and say, God, I cannot, I cannot imagine this. I cannot believe this. All of my sins have been forgiven and paid for by your son, Jesus. I will never get over that. That is incredible. You have given me such a wonderful gift. How would that change our mornings? And how would a prayer like that change the rest of our lives? See, the first key to not losing the presence of God in our life is simply to be thankful for what God has done, to be thankful for the gift of salvation that has been given to us through Christ. My favorite two parables in the the New Testament, in in the words of of Jesus, are the two shortest parables. And and they're not my favorite because they're shortest, but but you can remember them. I'm going to read both whole parables to you. One just takes one verse. Matthew 13, 44 says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. And then in his joy, he goes and he sells everything he has and buys the field. It's a story of a man who's just walking through a field. He's just minding his own business and he, he stumps his toe on something. And he looks down to see what it is and he, he brushes some of the dust away and it, it, it's the corner of a treasure chest. And he digs a little further and he pries it open enough to see how valuable it is. And he's just overwhelmed. He's just overjoyed. So he covers it back up. He he sells everything he has. He gets his hands on as much money as he possibly can. He is so excited. He is so urgent. And then he takes all this money and he goes and he buys the field because this is such a wonderful treasure. He could never, he could never get over its value. See, that's a picture of the appreciation we ought to have for the salvation that is ours. How do we keep from losing the presence of God? We need to be overwhelmed with thankfulness for what God has done. Uh, My second favorite parable is in the next two verses, just two verses long. It's almost the same parable. He says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And when he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Same story, same excitement, same enthusiasm. That is a picture of how we should live thankful for the goodness of God. Why did, how did Samson lose the hand of God in his life? He wasn't thankful for this special gift that had been given to him. Now, the second thing that I think caused him to lose the presence of God is he didn't recognize the purpose of the gift. Now, if you look at the whole life of, of Samson, Judges 13, 14, 15, 16, uh, you can see that he thought, or he, at least he lived like he thought the purpose of the gift was so that he could impress men and woo women. Okay. That's what he used the gift for. Sometimes he would use the gift in order to meet his material needs. There's some stories there where he needed something, and so he used this gift to get it. And there were times he used the gift to meet his emotional needs. He was angry uh, and needed to have his anger satisfied, or he was filled with lust and needed to have his lust satisfied. So when he looked at this gift, he saw its purpose 
as simply to bless himself. The purpose of this gift, God has made me strong so that I can impress men, woo women, so that I can satisfy my need for more stuff, for an easier life, and for a more satisfying life. That that was how he used the gift. But is that the purpose of the gift? Why did God make Samson strong? So he could impress men and woo women? Was that the point? No, he, he tells us in Judges 13 that he gave him this gift so that he would subdue the Philistines. Not just occasionally, not just when the whim struck him, but that, but that he would be the leader of Israel uh, to, to take care of this, of this pesty problem of the Philistines. He was the judge, the last judge of Israel. He had a responsibility. God gave him this gift to serve the people of God. But that's not at all how he used it. And consequently, God took it away. Now, God has given you and I a gift, right? If you know the Lord, we have the gift of salvation. We have the forgiveness of sin. We know the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the ability to pray. We have the ability to call upon the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, and ask anything that we will. We have a great gift. Now, what's the purpose of that gift? Well, I think if you look at how many people use it, you, you, you would see that we act a lot like Samson acted. We use the gift to get stuff and to be happy. For many people, their relationship with God is about being able to pray, Lord, give me this and give me that and fix this and fix that and heal this and heal that. And, and, and the gift we, we think is just so we'll get more stuff. Or we think the gift is about us being happy. Lord, make me happy. Uh, take away my depression. Give me peace. Give me joy. Take away my misery and my, and, and, and my worry and my anxiety. And, and, and we, we think the gift is just all about us. Well, that's what Samson thought. And God took it away from Samson. And listen, if we think the gift is just about us, then God will take it away from us. The presence of God's hand in our lives will will depart. Well, why has God given us this gift and left us here on earth? Well, God has given us this gift so that we would honor him. That's the reason why God saved me. That's the reason why God allows me to pray and to worship and to speak and to serve, not for me, but so that I could bring honor to God. So I could be a part of, we love our community. So I could, I could witness to the, to the people that are written in the front of my Bible so that I could go and speak for the glory of God. God is God has given us this gift for a purpose. And if we don't want God to take his hand off our lives, we need to recognize its true purpose and that its true purpose is not for us, but it's to be used for the glory, the glory of God. Why did he lose the presence of God? He didn't recognize the purpose of the gift. And then finally, I think he just lost the gift because he was careless. He was careless with the gift that God had given. So why did Samson tell Delilah, the real secret uh, to his uh, strength. Well, you could see this coming a mile away, couldn't you? I mean, she was, uh, uh, she was tricking him and, and he was telling her lies and, and he stuck with her, right? Uh, he, didn't, uh, he, didn't, he didn't leave the first time she betrayed his secret and he didn't leave the second time or the third time or the fourth time that she betrayed his secret. And so you could see what was coming. And finally, he shared with her the whole story, and he shared the secret that he never should have shared. He was simply careless with the gift, and so God took it away. I think sometimes, church, we're just careless 
with the gift of God's presence in our lives. We know that God has saved us. We know that our eternity is secure. And so we're just careless with it. We're careless with our worship. We're careless with our Bible study, our prayer, our service. We're just careless with it. Uh, let me tell you the story of two lawnmowers in my life. Do you have a lawnmower? I guess everybody has a lawnmower. I, I remember the first lawnmower I bought was in 1979. I'm an old man. Um, it was, uh, I was uh, 12 years old, 11 or 12 years old, and I decided to start a grass cutting business. And so I didn't have any money. I wanted to buy something. Mom wouldn't give me the money, but she said I could start a little business. I don't guess 11-year-olds do this now, but if you're old like me, you remember when 11-year-olds did these kind of things. And so my mom said she would loan me the money for a lawnmower. And so I, I can remember going and I looked at every lawnmower in town because I wanted to get, this was the first big purchase I'd ever made. I wanted to get the best lawnmower I could get. And so I found a Toro. I can remember I was debating between the Toro and the Snapper. And the Toro was four horsepower and the Snapper was three and a half horsepower. I can't I can remember my wife's name, but I can remember this like it was yesterday. There were a lot of hills where I was going to be doing my little grass cutting business. And so I wanted the most powerful self-propelled mower I could get. And so I got the Toro. It was $400. In 1979, that was a fortune. I borrowed the money from my mother. The payments were $40 a week for 10 weeks. Thankfully, there was no interest. I wouldn't even have known what that was in those days. Uh, but I, I bought that lawnmower, and I loved that lawnmower. It was red. I would mow all day, every day. And when I finished mowing, I would clean it inside and out. I would polish it. It looked like it had just come out of the box. And then, and some of you will cringe, then I brought it inside the house. I just brought it right in the front door. I mean, it wasn't going to get anything dirty. It was squeaky clean. And I pushed it through the living room and into a little utility room we had in the back of the house. I wasn't going to let anything happen to this lawnmower. I changed the oil at the end of every week. It was my pride and joy. Now, fast forward to my current lawnmower. <laughs> I've had it seven or eight years. I can't remember. Uh, I do remember going to buy it. I was frustrated because my last lawnmower had died or wheels had fallen off or something. So I got the cheapest lawnmower that you could get that was still self-propelled because I, I didn't want to work too hard uh, at, at Lowe's. I think it was $200. It's amazing how much cheaper lawnmowers are today than they were uh, in 1979. It's a $200 lawnmower. I have no idea what the brand name is. It was whatever was the cheapest that Lowe's had. So I've had it for seven or eight years. I have never changed the oil. I have never changed the blade. I have never sharpened the blade. I have never cleaned it. Uh, and when, when I lived in Ohio, uh, in the summer months, it could live in my garage because we could park outside the garage. But in the winter months, we had to park in the garage because you couldn't get your car going if it was uh, out in the cold. And so for two or three months every year, you couldn't even see the lawnmower. It was covered up in so much snow. Now listen, if the lawnmower doesn't start in the spring, I will push it to the end of the road, bid it farewell, buy another lawnmower, okay? I have no emotional attachment at all. I treat it like junk. It is junk, but it cuts the grass. I'm fine. Now, a lot of us treat the presence of God like that old junk lawnmower of mine. We don't pay it any attention it's there to accomplish a purpose for us, 
that's all about us when we need it from time to time. You know, when we have to go to the doctor or, 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 or there's, there's an emergency, we'll, we'll pull that thing out and we'll use it for a little while. But other than that, we just disregard this precious gift that God has given to us. That's what Samson did. And consequently, God took it away. And friends, I'm not talking about losing your salvation, but if, if, if we treat the presence of God so carelessly, I think one day somebody is going to shout, the Philistines are coming, and we're going to find out we have lost the hand of God, the presence of God in our lives. Let me tell you how we do this carelessly. One of the ways is just with church attendance. And, and when you read books today about churches and you know, pastors do those kind of things, not very exciting, but uh, it's occupational hazard. Uh, they, they say that in today's church, especially churches that are like ours, that people are going to church less and less often. Used to, a person who was active in church was there 50 weeks a year. And then an active person was there 40 weeks a year. And now it's closer to 30 weeks a year. And you think, well, that's not true of our church, but you know what it is. You know, I look around and some of the, some of the people that, uh, you know, they're walking with the Lord and they're godly people. You know, we just, we, we're pretty close to a 30 week a year average. Now, th- this isn't about propping up church attendance. This is about, we, we don't need to be so careless with the presence of God in our lives. We, we need to be anxious to, to plug into God as often as we can and in every way we can. We don't need to be casual and careless about these things. We need to be stretching and pushing and, and we, need to, we need to be engaged with the Lord. Not just church attendance, but, but devotional times, reading our Bibles. We, some people read their Bible once a week or twice a week or, or we go weeks without reading our Bible. Or what about prayer? How much do we pray outside the times that we have an emergency in our lives? What about confession? What about pausing every day and just confessing our sins to the Lord and being honest with the Lord about our, our difficulties and our hardships and our weaknesses and asking for forgiveness and strength? See, if we're careless about the presence of God, then we may be one day like Samson and wake up and be surprised that it's gone. Let me share with you the Apostle Paul's attitude about the presence of God. In Philippians chapter 3, he said this, Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of Christ Jesus. He said, I do everything I can to reach out to Christ. The next verse, he says, brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching, stretching to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly calling, Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. If you have a mature relationship with Christ, it will look like Paul's relationship. You aren't careful about the presence of God. You're not casual about the presence of God, careless or casual, but, but you are pressing forward. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, so I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body to bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I might not be disqualified. The apostle Paul was not careless or casual about his relationship with God. He was pressing on, pressing on. If we want to be people who know that God's hand is always in our lives, we need to be serious about the ways that God has given us. Uh, to foster his, 
his presence. I, I read a book a bunch of years ago, and the Lord just brought it to my mind this morning. Uh, and the, the thoughts I learned from this, and I'm just going to read to you very briefly, and then we'll close. The thoughts I learned from this have stuck with me a lot of years. I talked about the, the carpenter's shop and the tools, and some of them are in his hands and on his workbench, and some are in the, in the corner. Listen to how Max Licato says the same thing. He says, in the shop of a blacksmith, there are three types of tools. You see which type you are. Uh, there are tools on the junk pile, outdated, broken, dull, rusty. They sit in the cobwebbed corner, useless to their master, oblivious to their calling. And then there are tools on the anvil, melted down, molten hot, moldable, changeable. They lie on the anvil being shaped by their master, accepting their calling. And then there are tools of usefulness, sharpened, primed, defined, mobile. They lie ready in the blacksmith's tool chest, available to their master to fulfill their calling. So he says, so some people are. Some people are lie useless, lives broken, talents wasted, fires quenched, dreams dashed. They are tossed in with the iron scraps in desperate need of repair, with no notion of purpose. Others lie on the anvil, hearts open, hungry to change, wounds healing, vision clearing. They welcome the painful pounding of the blacksmith's hammer, longing to be rebuilt, begging to be called. And then there are others, others who lie in the master's hands, well-tuned, non-compromising, polished, productive, and they respond to the master's forearm, demanding nothing but surrendering all. And then he writes again about, about those that are in the corner. He says, to find me, speaking on behalf of the tool that has been discarded, to find me, look in the corner of the shop, over here, behind the cobwebs, beneath the dust, in the darkness. There are scores like me, broken handles, dulled blades, cracked iron, some of us were useful once, and then many of us never were. But listen, don't feel sorry for me. Life ain't so bad here in the pile. No work, no anvils, no pain, no sharpening. And yet the days are very long. But then he writes from the perspective of those who are in God's hands. He says, ought to be your instrument, O God, like Paul to the Gentiles, like Philip to the eunuch, like Jesus to the world, to be your instrument, to be like a scalpel in the gentle hands of a surgeon, healing and mending, to be like a plow in the weathered hands of the farmer, sowing and tending, to be like a scythe in the sweeping hands of the reaper, gathering and using, to be an instrument for noble purposes, to be honored and tuned, honed and tuned, in sync with your will, sensitive to your touch. This, my God, is my prayer. Draw me from your fire, form me on your anvil, shape me with your hands. And let me be your tool. Just so your head bowed and eyes closed. I, I, I guess I just want you to hear one thing as your pastor. Just as still as you can be, listen. The fear and the surprise that must have struck in Samson's heart when he heard the cry, the Philistines are here. And he woke up and discovered 
He had lost the presence of God I can't imagine. One day in your life, the cry is going to come. The Philistines are here. It's a crisis. It's an emergency. And as your pastor, my prayer is that you will not wake up that day and discover that the hand of God has departed from your life. Let us be thankful for it. Let's use this for its purpose. And let us not be careless, but let us have the passion of Paul to press on with Jesus. Father, thank you for your presence, for the salvation we can never lose, and the powerful hand that leads us and guides us. May we uh, embrace your presence every day. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.